Blog Talk Radio.
And good evening, everyone, and welcome to a King Jordan Radio Live for Thursday night, June 15, 2017. Season 5 it is, episode 29. We are live. Tonight we'll get into the Cosby trial. So far, uh, as I am recording this live now, um, it seems we are deadlocked. Uh, but uh, maybe we will get some more information as time moves along. Okay, uh, so we will be discussing that. Bill Cosby, Tiger Woods, will he get back to power? Will he get back to where he was at one time? Uh, At one time, he was the Michael Jordan of uh, basketball, the A-Rod of baseball, the Tom Brady of football, if you will. Will he come back to that? We'll ask our guests. Also, the tech suicide trial. Uh, that will go to a bench uh, trial, or a judge will decide the fate of that one. We'll talk about that. Okay, uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome a very special guest tonight. Uh, he is a world-renowned New York defense attorney. He is seen, uh, he is actually a CNN legal analyst, um, HLN uh, analyst. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. Joey Jackson. Good evening, Joey Jackson, and welcome back to the King Jordan Radio Show. As you would say, I'm doing good uh, now that I'm talking with you. How's everything, Joe? <laughs> Much better now that I'm talking to you. Indeed. <laughs> okay, um, let's start off with the Bill Cosby trial, but uh, let's uh, let's let's hear the, the soundbite of how we got here. The jury is still deliberating in the sexual assault trial of Bill Cosby. The jury has been locked away since Monday evening, emerging only four times to ask questions of the judge. Cosby is facing three felony counts of aggravated indecent assault. If convicted, the 79-year-old comedian would need to register as a sex offender. CBS News correspondent Jerika Duncan is following the story at the courthouse in Norristown, Pennsylvania. Jerika, the jury has been deliberating for more than 14 hours now. Do we know what's taking them so long? Well, they started this morning just after 10.30, and it really comes down to the questions. They keep coming back to the judge with several questions. The first one uh, surrounding more information that they wanted, which was more testimony from Bill Cosby about his initial romantic interest in Andrea Constant, as well as the night of the alleged sexual assault. That was the first thing that they wanted to be read. Uh, After that, they also asked the judge to better define one of the three counts of aggravated indecent assault that Cosby is charged with. Now, we spoke to a legal expert and he said those sort of questions favor the prosecution. But most recently, the jury asked the question of whether or not they can uh, read the first report that Andrea Constant gave to Canadian police. This is significant because her report changed when she first spoke to the Canadian police, when she spoke to the Sheltonham Township Police, and so on and so forth. So this could also be a sign for the defense that maybe they are leaning more toward that way. But at this point, no one can really say for sure how the jury is leaning. 
We just know that they continue to ask questions, which uh, obviously is slowing up the process of finding out if they've reached a verdict or not. Uh, we know that about an hour ago or so, they were delivered uh, dinner. They're going to have it in the courthouse. Then we're expected to get more information on whether or not they want to keep going, keep deliberating, or go back to their hotel rooms tonight. Well, Jerika, the legal experts you've spoken with, I wonder uh, if they've indicated anything to you about the length of these deliberations and whether that bodes well for either the defense team or the prosecution. So one gentleman we spoke to, he was a prosecutor for 17 years, and he says that he's seen it go both ways, and it's really hard uh, to put all your eggs in one basket when it comes to what this means and really trying to figure out whether or not uh, they're leaning more toward the defense of the prosecution. But um, at the end of the day, we don't have a verdict. Uh, the longer it goes, generally, the, these legal experts are saying it's favorable toward the prosecution. But again, that last question that this jury asked has to do with wanting to reread the statements that Andrea Constant initially made to the Canadian police. Well, Cosby is facing three felony level two counts of aggravated indecent assault. What kind of punishment could he be facing if convicted? So each count carries up to 10 years in prison, but based on PA law, we understand that the most he could serve is up to 10 years in prison. And remember, this is somebody that is 79 years old, uh, has complications seeing things. Uh, so you figure your last 10 years potentially could be behind bars if convicted of this crime. Also important to note, though, if convicted, uh, we expect that his team will probably appeal that conviction. Elaine? All right. Jerika Duncan in Norristown, Pennsylvania. Jerika, thanks. Okay, Joey, uh, let's go with the three scenarios for Mr. Bill Cosby. Let's start off with the one that looks to be most obvious or most probable. If the jury is deadlocked and they cannot come to a verdict, what would happen? Well, the way it works is that if they are deadlocked, the prosecution has to reassess what they want to do next. The prosecution has the ability to retry the case. Now, people may say, well, that's double jeopardy. No, it's only double jeopardy in the event that a jury makes a decision. In the event that a jury does not come to a unified conclusion, then it's not double jeopardy. Uh, he's not being charged for the same offense twice because the, that offense was never fully adjudicated, fully fulfilled, fully resolved. And so the prosecution could decide to retry him. Now, that would be uh, based on a number of factors. Number one, I think the prosecution, of course, would want to know what the desires of the complainant were in the case. The complainant, that is the complaining witness, Ms. Andrea Constan, the accuser, the person who's charging him, what say you? Do you want to go through this again? Not that it, it's, he's the boss of the prosecutors, but you know it, it weighs heavily on their mind uh, how inclined their witnesses to cooperate. Well, indications would be that, you know, she wants to see this from beginning to end, not that I can speak with her. So she would likely want to move forward if there's a hung jury and if they want to do it again. The second consideration would be they would want to know the breakdown of the jury. Well, you know, what does it break down to? Was it 10 to 2 to – and, again, this is hypothetical. The jury may very well have a decision tomorrow. We don't know. <clears throat> but right. hypothetically – what can happen is, is the prosecutor sees that it was, say, 10 to 2 to acquit or, t or 11 to 1 to acquit. There was only one vote of guilt or two votes of guilt. The prosecution may say we took our best shot. The prosecution may not say that. They may say, I don't care. Another jury, it could have been, you know, 10 to 2 to convict. And so ultimately, right. I just think this is such a political football 
based upon it really getting into the psyche of really the, the whole country, right? And based upon all of the alleged crimes that Mr. Cosby supposedly committed, I think Ms. Constance stands really in the shoes of many, and many stand who allege that Mr. Cosby did something to them in her shoes. So she's really the proxy for a movement. And so uh, that reality is, is that the prosecutor may very well move forward no matter what, particularly when this was an election issue, was a campaign issue. The prior, the prior prosecutor, to remind your audience, uh, declined to prosecute Mr. Cosby. And it was a very big political issue with this prosecutor saying, if I'm elected, I will. He was elected. He did. And so we'll see what the outcome is. Uh, yeah, he actually used in his campaign um, that he would go after Cosby to try to uh, bolster his campaign, right? A couple of years back, he said sure did. words to the effect that uh, the other guy, the previous uh, person, did not go after Cosby. He said if put in um, that position that he would prosecute Cosby. Wasn't that one of his uh, uh, things that, that, that he tried to get to uh, to elect him? A hundred percent. And as a result of that, you know, we saw this prosecution. If the other prosecutor were in office, uh, you know, the matter wouldn't have gone forward at all. It did. And so now we have to wait and see what the outcome is. Uh, you know, but I also think that there are a number of appealable issues, even if he were to be convicted. That is Mr. Cosby. Uh, so far, what do you make of Miss Andrea Constantine's uh, credibility? Because this is uh, basically what it is comes down to, right? You know, it's a sensitive topic because obviously you have your supporters that really support Bill Cosby. You have your supporters that support Ms. Constan. And so it's always tough to weigh credibility, right, Jordan? Because what would be oh, yeah. credible to me may not be credible to you and vice versa. And so you, I'm sure, have jurors that are sitting around in that deliberation room having some really tough discussions, heated discussion and passionate arguments. And I think when you talk about credibility, clearly that's what the jury's focused on because think about what they asked to read back. They asked to read back Ms. Constan and what did she testify to in the court of law regarding what happened that night. Then they want to hear, or th that's what they did uh, recently in terms of one of their readback notes. They also wanted to know what she initially told the Canadian police and, you know, to see whether there were inconsistencies, and there were, uh, with respect to what she told the Canadian police versus what she told the Pennsylvania police as opposed to what she said in court. So they're looking at what her credibility is. But hold on. They're also looking at Mr. Cosby's credibility. Why? Because they wanted to hear what his deposition testimony was that he gave uh, when he sat for the deposition uh, back in 2006. They also wanted to hear what he told the police when they interviewed him back in 2005. So they're looking at his credibility too. Uh, and they're really, I guess, fighting over what makes sense, what really does make sense here. And it's very difficult to determine what makes sense because you know, where you stand is a function of where you sit. If I support Cosby, everything he says to me makes sense. If I don't, then anything he might say would be a lie. And so jurors get very entrenched in their position. 
Now, I mentioned before, just briefly, and I don't want to leave your audience hanging regarding appealable issues, I am concerned that, in, in my view, there were judicial errors here that were made, and those errors are what are the basis for appeal. So if you get convicted, the appellate courts want to know, well, why are you appealing to us? What can we do to help you? And so you have to point out what's appealable, and I'll tell you what is. Number one, his civil deposition at his Bill Cosby's played huge. Why? Because not yes. only was it read into testimony in the court, but the jury wanted, wanted to read that. They wanted to hear it again. The fact is, is that Bill Cosby would have never given the deposition had he known he would be prosecuted. And so you remember at the outset when Bill Cosby's lawyers made a motion to forbid the deposition testimony ago. to be used. Yeah, and, and now that testimony that he would have never given – is now being used against them. I think that although the judge ruled it could be, I think that another panel of judges could rule that it's that completely uh, was an improper ruling. Uh, and, and again, this is not me speaking in favor of Bill Cosby. I'm analyzing the case to you and I'm telling you what a lawyer would be concerned about. And that's exhibit a on appeal of what they're going to ask an appellate judge to, to consider. The second issue relates to the pattern, appealable issue relates to the pattern evidence. Now, obviously, he's been accused of 50 or 60 women, however many you want to credit or believe or think, have come forward. The prosecution wanted to introduce 13 of those women to testify. The judge allowed one. And so you say, well, how could you appeal that? The judge only allowed one. The prosecutor wanted 13. Well, not only did the judge allow that witness to testify, which I think was the right call. I think you want a pattern evidence witness to come in. And just to be clear, a witness who is a pattern witness is not there for the purpose of saying, you did this on that day, aha, you must have did it on another day. The, the, the law does not allow for aha witnesses, meaning you have a propensity to do something, you have an inclination to do something. That's not what the witness is for. Technically, the witness is just to show your MO and your pattern. So I don't per se from a legal perspective, take issue with the judge allowing her testimony. I do take issue with the judge not only allowing her testimony, but allowing her, Kelly Johnson, witness six, her mother to testify, to corroborate her and say, "Uh uh-huh, exactly what she said. Her lawyer to testify, Ms. Johnson's lawyer, that is, and say, "Uh uh-huh, exactly what she told you. I mean, where does it end? And what is the trial about? How much corroboration do you want a pattern witness to have? And so I think his lawyer is certainly going to use that. And the final thing I think they'll use, certainly not final, but these are the three things that we have time to talk about. There are others. But the fact is, is that a witness was allowed to testify, a psychologist, and that psychologist was allowed to say, you know, there's reasons women don't report right away because Ms. Constant waited a year. There's reasons that a, a witness who's abused may contact her accuser because Ms. Constant Constan called him 52, 53 times, and they spoke 72 times in total after the fact. So that witness explained it. The problem is, is that that's a very generic, uh, that's a very genetic, generic batch of testimony. How can a witness psychologist who hasn't, doesn't know Ms. Constan, hasn't really evaluated spoken and developed, how do you just make these general observations about what anybody else would or could do? And so I think that's ripe and fertile for appeal. And again, you know, just so that I'm clear, you you can believe Cosby did it, you can believe he didn't do it, and my purpose is not to convey or convince the audience 
uh, you know, paying that, that he did or he didn't. My purpose is to tell you that these are major concerns that the defense is going to have uh, were he to be or should he be convicted uh, when they come back, uh, that jury comes back tomorrow. And the final thing I'll say about it is you can rest assured that that jury is going to have a verdict one way or the other tomorrow, either a hung, non-verdict, or acquittal or conviction, because they're 300 miles away from home. It's Friday, and I cannot see this jury saying that we're going to spend the weekend uh, together and we'll be back on Monday. I don't see that. Any attorney will tell you Friday afternoon verdicts are very popular, very popular indeed. Which includes a uh, Father's Day Sunday, so want to figure that into the situation. That's that's right. Uh, They're not going to be away from (laughs) Father's Day, that's for sure. Just want to tell out we have some callers that are holding on, so just please hold. We'll get to you uh, as soon as we wrap up uh, our stories. And just just to be clear with Bill Cosby, uh, they could believe that this other uh, person was uh, raped by Bill Cosby, um, but uh, or the other so-called people, um, if they think they, they, but their job as jurors is figure out if Bill, if they think Bill Cosby raped Andrea, constant beyond a reasonable uh, doubt. Not the others, not the other witness to show, uh, you know, the reasonable uh, position, but their job is only Andrea Constant, right? Great point. Absolutely. That that is their only job. No matter what he did or did not do with Miss Johnson, the issue in that in this trial is whether he uh, committed these three offenses as against Miss Constan. One, that he took advantage of her. The audience knows what I'm talking about while she was unconscious. Two, that he took advantage of her uh, while she was. Uh, in a state where she could not consent because she was under the influence of drugs and some intoxicant, and three, that she just couldn't consent at all. So that's the essence of the three charges that he faced. Well, this is the biggest trial since uh, <laughs> since for a long time, I guess. It's too uh, so, bad uh, that his cameras are not in the courtroom because this certainly would have been a great one for that. But what can we do? Yeah, in Pennsylvania, not no can do with this type of situation, I guess. Right? Okay, uh, oh, yeah. Michelle Carter, this is a very sad case. I guess uh, you've been covering it. Michelle Carter, 20, is accused of uh, sending text messages to the boyfriend. Here's the story, and I'm going to get your take on this. Is this young woman responsible for her boyfriend's suicide? Michelle Carter is accused of sending her boyfriend, Conrad Roy, a series of text messages urging him to take his own life. It's time, babe. You know that, Carter wrote. You got to do it. You're ready. Roy responded, okay, I will. No more thinking. Yes, no more thinking. You need to just do it, she wrote back. Just park your car and sit there, and it will take like 20 minutes. It's not a big deal. Attorney Aaron Keller of LawNews.com. The prosecution has to be able to prove that the text messages pushed the victim over the edge in this case, or she walks. Conrad Roy's body was found in his grandfather's Ford pickup truck outside Boston in July 2014. Cause of death? Carbon monoxide poisoning. He was just 18. What motive would Michelle Carter have to push her boyfriend to kill himself? According to the prosecutor, 
She wanted people to feel sorry for her. Defense lawyer Joseph Cataldo disagreed that Carter was responsible. Conrad Roy was on this path to take his own life for years. The dead man's family looked shocked as Carter's best friend took the stand Wednesday and read a text she sent hours after Roy ended his life. I do blame myself. It's my fault. I was talking to him while he killed himself. I heard him crying in pain. I should have known I should have did something. This case is unique because it attaches to conduct that only involves words. It's not truly conduct. CNN legal analyst Joey Jackson joins us. Joey, uh, what do you make of this case A and B? Now they, I believe, decided to go to, I guess they call it a bench trial, right? What's your yes, thoughts on that? Yes, they went to a bench trial. And don't forget my friends at HLN, my great peeps at HLN. Um, so, HLN, <laughs> so what happens, yes, uh, network. <laughs> without question. So what happens is, is that this is a very sad case indeed. And it's sad because if you listen to the case, Jordan, the, the lack of humanity of this particular woman is astounding. I mean, to be in a position where you're writing text messages to your friends, and I use that term extraordinarily loosely, did you do it yet? Did you do it? Are you going to do it? What are you waiting for? There's a hundred ways you can do it. Get back in the car. Finish yourself off now. I mean, I don't know how evil or devoid of heart or emotion that you have to be. And so the question in this case, which is a very interesting one, is it, are words alone sufficient not for encouraging someone to commit a crime against someone else, but encouraging someone to take their own life? And whether or not that rises to the level of action and uh, the point where you can criminalize it when the person technically took his own life. And so I think the defense has been trying to exploit the notion that this person, the decedent, the one who's dead, uh, the, the young man at 18, was on a path to this for some time to come, that he lived a troubled life, that at a previous occasion he attempted suicide, that he was in a bad way, and that regardless of the push or not, he would have done it anyway. Uh, of course, the prosecution disagrees with that and felt that this was really the straw that broke the camel's back. This was the loading of the gun, and although he pulled the trigger, certainly Miss Carter handed him the gun so he could do so. That's by analogy. Obviously, he, he died of carbon monoxide poisoning in his car, the reason I'm referencing a gun, obviously, is I'm just drawing the analogy of, you know, that's the proverbial weapon, right, that she gave him so he could take his own life. So what happens is, is the judge has to make the decision of whether this is enough under the law. And I just think if, if ever there were a case where you could make that decision, that pushing someone over the edge by malicious conduct and repeated conduct and persistent conduct and just an all-out frontal assault to get somebody to do things, it would be this case. Some of those text messages are absolutely incredible. And then if you look at her conduct afterwards where she is really, you know, going to the funeral, arranging a, a fundraiser for him, telling the mom how much she loved him, not alluding to anybody that she pushed him to do this, I think it shows uh, a, a large degree of just moral bankruptcy, and not that moral bankruptcy is a crime, but when you use that moral bankruptcy to have someone uh, and assist that person in taking their life, 
the question is, is well, shouldn't that be criminal? And the answer is going to be uh, up to a judge because this is a bench trial. Did you hear that in this state that there is some kind of wiggle room for this defendant that they might not be able to to use the text messages as they would in another state, perhaps? No, I think the text messages, uh, you know, the text messages are not the issue. The text messages right. have been exhibit A, B, C, all the way to Z. They've been, the prosecution has been crushing with the text messages. The issue really is with the text messages is whether that rises to the legal standard of you texting someone. What precedent does it set if I text someone to do something to themselves and they do it, should you be the person responsible or should the person who did it to themselves accept and claim responsibility? To what extent does personal responsibility play into this? And how could a person who's not within physical contact of another and who's miles away and who's not just in any proximity to the person who killed themselves be held responsible for, you know, the virtual push of someone when all they did was make horrific statements. And so I think that's what the case boils down to. And I think it's going to be a very close question as to that, whether that's the case, because in my mind, it's a causation issue. Did Michelle Carter cause his death or did he cause his death? And and that's the issue. And the fact that he also wanted to commit suicide prior to this, defense uh, did br- bring up in some motions uh, that I read, at least. Um, how, how much of a mitigating factor do you think that will be, if at all? I think the defense has been playing that up big because they, they've been saying he was in a bad way, and certainly he would be inclined to do this whether she pushed him or not. And so I think that it does play big, uh, but you know, ultimately, although you try to commit suicide, if somebody brings you to that brink again, because remember, this case is about not what he did in the past, but what he did now, and to what extent you contributed to that. Forget about what you did to me yesterday, the day before, the week before, the month before, the year before. What did you do now? And that's the focus. And when you look at the what you do, did now, uh, some of the things she did were just patently horrific, and th- therein lies the issue. And they were uh, boyfriend and girlfriend, and, you know, when you're young like that at 17, 16 years old, you you know, a boyfriend to a girlfriend could be very serious in terms of, you know, your mental state when your girlfriend is telling you to do this. The boyfriend takes it as, you know, maybe I should do this. My girlfriend thinks it's the best. 100% right. 100% right. Agreed. Um. But from a defense standpoint, final uh, question on this, um, you think it was smart to go for the bench trial? And if so, why? And if not, I'm why? sorry. I, I missed that, Jordan. I'm, I'm so sorry, King. You said from a defense standpoint? From a defense standpoint uh, of Michelle Carter, her lawyers, was it a smart decision going for the bench trial? Yes. Or no, and why? You, so. you, you see, I got into a, and I think analysts will agree and disagree on this point, because I got into a, a nice discussion with someone, a very respected lawyer, very good person, and a very smart man, 
And his position was directly opposite mine, to be fair. His position was, look, there's been a ruling that says that this kind of action could rise to the level of uh, involuntary manslaughter and based upon various things that have happened in this jurisdiction. So why would you give it to a judge? My position opposite that is that this girl is so inhumane that I don't see anyone other than a judge taking the case. I think a jury would hate this girl. I mean, yeah. who does that? Who does what she did? And, and I think the reason... The, yeah, generally I the judge the would be non-emotional, right? Exactly right. The judge bases things on the law, not emotion. And I just think jurors would literally want to fry her a day into the trial. And so I get and support what the defense did here. I just don't know whether, you know, it'll work. And I get the 12 people all have to agree and it's hard to get 12 to agree and you can get a holdout. I just don't know. I mean, anybody I talk to about this case who likes this girl or who feels any sympathy for her, I just don't. And so that's your jury. And I just think a jury would convict. And so I think the defense, uh, not, not don't know if it'll work because it's a hard set of facts, but I think the defense did the best they could under the circumstances and made the right strategic move. Okay, we'll tell your words uh, ever again. Here's Fox Sports, and I'm going to get your take I'm on someone that thinks Tiger's just, he's done as a public figure. I don't think he's a guy that handles adversity well. This is He hasn't won a major since the Thanksgiving 2009 incident. He hasn't really been the same player since then. I know he won a player of the year in between there, but I just think he's done as a public figure. I don't think we'll see him play golf again. Well, it depends what pub, public figure means. I mean, he may be, end up being the greatest analyst, golf analyst you know, of all times, if he wants to articulate how he was thinking and what he was thinking or what he thinks somebody, you know, is His thinking at a moment. Fits that? No, it doesn't. It okay. doesn't. But you never know. Nick Faldo reinvented yeah, no himself. Faldo was going to be a great analyst. No, but uh, I feel for Tiger for other reasons. I mean, I think that, you know, he might have a problem with these painkillers. He's got every reason to have a problem. He's had a lot of pain. He's had a lot of surgeries and all that. And I'm more worried that there's a bigger problem with Tiger Woods and less concerned about his golf. Um, you know, this opiate epidemic is rampant in the United States. There's no telling how many people die uh, every day as a result. And I just hope he's not one of those guys. I hope he doesn't have an addiction problem. I hope he's not addicted. I hope he didn't, you know, wake up at 2.45 in the morning after taking his Ambien or whatever and just slept walk into his car and drove down the street and, you know, pulled over asleep. I don't know what the situation is. They're very secretive. But Tiger needs somebody around him that can intervene if there is a problem. You know what? Beyond the drug concerns and and the um and, and him being addicted to something, as far as him just getting back on the court, I mean getting back on the course, I um uh, I think he will. I, I don't think he's done. I, I think part of the re- I think part of that Tiger was raised to believe that he could do all these things on his own. I think he was raised to believe that he could handle everything, he could conquer everything, that he was going to be better. And when you're that way, that, that, that's still in his brain. That's still in his mind. I think that's part of the reason why he's gotten on the courses and his body wasn't there. Because in his mind, he still sees himself doing all of those great things he did once before, even though his body yeah, is the, failing him. The mind and the body, though. No, that, that's oh, what yeah. I'm saying. His body has failed. He's, he's like that athlete that has lost a step, but you still think you can do it. Well, and the thing is, in golf, you can still do it. Sure. Because at age 40, I mean, if he's pain-free and he doesn't have a problem, then I would never rule him out. I agree with you. I would never rule Tiger out. I've seen him well, in his problem. But both of you make an interesting point in combination. 
He's saying he needs to ask for help. You're saying his, his athletic success is going to stop him from asking for help. That's a problem when here's, you have. Here's why I'm concerned is I've been around lots of different sports and you, you have as well, Eric, and everybody that's dealt with that number of surgeries, it's the odds are that they're going to be connected to painkillers at some, in some form, whether it's an addiction or a reliance moving forward. I would be surprised if he wasn't reliant on painkillers with this amount of surgeries in particular on your back. That's what I know to be the athletic experience. I had problems with Vicodin because that's what it was. That's what you did to get back on the field, right? I mean, I don't anymore. How many players and teammates have you seen that, that were reliant, at least, on painkillers? Brett so, Favre went through this. Brett Favre went through this. I think it's I one of those unspoken thing. things that, that in the sports world goes without being said. And now people you know, may say, wow, Tiger might be struggling with this. I'd be surprised if he wasn't because of the amount of surgeries that he's had. You remember three days before he was arrested, he was, I think he tweeted or released a statement that he never felt better. He, he was pain-free. And we all just assumed, all right, this surgery worked. His back's better. <laughs> but who knows? And you got to look at that and, and think about, again, his personality. And you, when you brought up the teammates, I, I think about the personality of a guy who's playing the sport and is driven and is focused and, and could dial in the way he was able to dial in. And if the body's not allowing him because of the back to dial in, ha has he put that focus into something else? Has he gotten himself, you know, has that, he has that addictive personality. So it does make you wonder about that. But I, don't think, I, I still think he's going to get back on the court. I, I worry about people that have so much success at an early age and they only know success. And then when they first time they stumble, are they like, and again, some people won't get this example, but it's the most accurate one I can give. Ray Lewis, the linebacker, came from so much struggle as a kid that when he fell on his face in a major way and was involved in a murder trial, he had the kind of personality that could shake it off and come back and be a great player. That's why Tiger Woods, I just don't think, was built for adversity and being able to handle people snickering at him behind his back. He built a wall around him, a protective hedge, if you will, around him. But I think Tiger has a great gift to be able to compartmentalize his life because he was doing things that nobody understood, and that was over here. And then he was playing golf, and that was over here, and then something else was sitting over there. And when he's over here, he doesn't see any of that. And that's the Tiger Woods I know. And if he can compartmentalize, I think he can fall on his face. I'll tell you one thing Tiger realizes, that as much as the world loved him, the world now is t trying to take him down. And so he's got to rise above that. He needs better people around him, in my opinion, people that will intervene if he has a problem. Legal analyst, HLN and CNN, Joey Jackson, what is your take? Will Tiger Woods ever make a comeback against Kagal? And if so, uh, will he be at the top of his game? I think Tiger Woods will rise again. I think everybody in this society <laughs> deserves redemption. And it's a matter of you putting in the time, believing, having faith, having hope. And, you know, when you hit rock bottom, there's only one way you can go. And so, listen, he's had a lot of success. He's thrilled us so many times. You can hate him. You could love him. He's been a great competitor. He's been wonderful for, for golf. 
But I just truly believe that, you know, it's not over until it's over. And he's the only one who could say it's over. And he's been a competitor, and he's had competitive spirit for a long time in his life. So pundits can count him out. His enemies can, you know, say he's, he's left for dead. But I see, like, in the horror movies, and I'm not a real horror movie watcher. I used to be when I was young. But uh, they give me nightmares. <laughs> It's interesting. You know, it was the other way around with me. You would think a kid gets nightmares at horror shows, and, you know, an adult can stand them. As an adult, I get nightmares when I watch horror shows. As a kid, they were fine. But uh, I just You'll think never that go it's to like sleep the horror show. watching them, I'll tell you. That's, that's oh, you can't. You can't. And that's, and you can't, and that's perfect segue, because you can't go to sleep on Tiger Woods. I think that, like, the horror show, the guy that, you know, you stab, but he keeps coming back. I think Tiger's going to be back, and he should be back because everybody deserves a second opportunity, and I hope he gets one. Yeah, but he was in a dangerous situation, you know, slurring at the wheel or sleeping at the wheel. These pills are very uh, bad epidemic in this era, you would agree, right? I do. I absolutely do, but I also believe that, you know, there's a major distinction between somebody voluntarily being intoxicated and somebody voluntarily uh, taking pills, uh, you know, of of the variety or heroin or some other substance because they want to get high and someone who's in a world of pain who literally just got surgery and someone who needs it for that basis and then they're found behind the wheel of their car. So I just think there's a gross distinction between the two. And I hope those factor in to uh, to help him. Last story is a Rocky Mount teacher uh, accused of having sexual course uh, sexual contact with three students. Let's hear this clip and uh, we'll Rocky Mount teacher okay. now facing several charges after police say she had inappropriate contact with three of her students. Police say it happened during this past school year, and that school administrators alerted them. CBS North Carolina's Amy Cutler has the latest from Rocky Mount. Parents are supposed to feel safe sending their kids to school each day, but it appears one teacher here at Rocky Mount Preparatory School may have violated that trust. This is 25-year-old Erin McAuliffe, administrators at Rocky Mount Preparatory School, confirming she was a math teacher during this last school year. In May, they tell us allegations came to light that McAuliffe may have had inappropriate sexual contact with students. CBS North Carolina obtaining the police report, which reveals the president of the school, Todd Pipkin, alerted authorities. I was really surprised. I thought that, you know, women teachers were getting smarter and better. It's very shocking and appalling that a person would do that with a student. Devon Steele graduated from Rocky Mount Prep last year. He called it a good school and says the teachers were supportive and caring. The teacher-student relationship is very intimate in itself, but it's not meant to be abused in that sort of way. After interviewing numerous students and faculty members, police now say the inappropriate sexual contact involves three students, a 16-year-old and two 17-year-olds. They tell us that contact took place off of school grounds. I'm not shocked the way the world is today, but uh, I, I am very concerned about it. School administrators declined an interview. They tell us McAuliffe was fired May 4th the day the police report was filed. McCullough is charged with three counts of sexual activity with a student and one count of indecent liberties with a minor. She is scheduled to appear in Nash County Court Monday. In Rocky Mount, I'm Amy Cutler, CBS, North Carolina. 
you know, we hear this a lot now. Joey, it seems to be like the norm, unfortunately. Um, what's your take on this? Uh, this will be a very quick take. A very quick take is that when you abuse your position of authority like that to prey upon students, you get exactly what you deserve. And so, uh, you know, I think that there has to be some uh, some way to resolve this or to monitor this or to better supervise this. But, I mean, what can you say about a case like this? It's just there are certain things that have to be off limits, and this is one of them. And uh, it's very hard to defend this, plain and simple, and no excuse for it. And uh, would you feel any different if it was a man in this situation? I mean, as a teacher. No, I I think it's equally uh, offensive and abusive, regardless of whether it's a man or a woman. I just think, you know, when you hear instances of women doing this, it reminds you that, you know, uh, women are subject to the same frailties and emotional disturbances and other issues that men are uh, in this regard. And so it's just whether male male teacher, female teacher, it's just there's, there's no place for it. It shouldn't happen. And school should be a, a place, a sanctuary for our students to learn, to grow, to develop, and to be loved and coddled, supported, and, you know, treated with dignity, respect, and love, not to be preyed upon and taken advantage of. So that's, that's my position. Okay, Joey, uh, would you mind if we take a few calls? Not at all. Okay, uh, let's go out to Pennsylvania. They've been waiting out the longest. Two one seven, you're up. Please state your name and where you and uh, where you're calling from. Two one seven, it's your turn. Hello, gentlemen. This is Tracy from Illinois. Uh, Hello, I don't Tracy from Illinois. Zoe. I used to do graphics for your fan page uh, during the Travis Alexander trial. Wow, wonderful. Thank you very much for that. Not a problem. Um, I guess my biggest thing is, one, in regards to Bill Cosby, why now? You know, in my opinion, leave the poor guy alone. You know, he's elderly, he's got disabilities. Um, I'm not saying that someone's just trying to make a buck, but... You know, if something happens, it should have been reported then, not now when he's, you know, in an incapacitated state. And for the the lady who convinced her boyfriends or whoever to commit suicide, I mean, yes, people can be very influential, but ultimately that was his choice. And my third thing is, uh, in regard to Tiger Woods, addiction is a very horrible, awful thing. And if yes. it was any one of us, you know, they'd send us to rehab and it'd, be, it'd fall by the wayside. But unfortunately, since he's a public figure, that makes it that much more interesting to everyone else. And at the end of the day, it's about getting the help that you need and trying to figure out a way to recognize your addictions and do what you need to do for yourself instead of having the whole entire world putting you on blast for messing up. Good to you. 
Okay. Well, I, Thank you. Anything else? I, I appreciate that call. I really do. But, you know, no. I, I mean, as it relates to Cosby, you know, the unfortunate thing is, is that, you know, there's a lot of allegations that existed against him and, you know, no one's above or below the law. So if he did what he's accused of doing, no matter the age, he needs to be held accountable. If he didn't do it, then he should go home and live his life in peace. And um, God bless him. And you're absolutely right about that. You know, Bill Cosby has been an icon for many, many, many years. I just don't see why someone would feel the need to bring up allegations now, so many years, so many years later, when you know, he's elderly and I mean, basically one foot in the grave, the other on a banana peel. Right. I get you. I get you. Thank you. Great comments. I appreciate them. But I believe Joey, this was started during a comedy show by Hannah Spurl where he made some comments and then, then it started to, uh, escalate. Remember? Escalate indeed. Escalated right into this big trial. So, my goodness gracious. This is huge. But as uh, uh, our friend Nancy Grace always says, the uh, Lady Justice is blind. So, she can't <laughs> see your race, your gender, how much money you make. So, whether he did or didn't do it, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's for the jury to decide. And, uh, it, it is indeed. <laughs> okay, let's go out to California Say hello to our friend Sarah She's on King Jordan Radio Good evening, Sarah It's your turn Well, well, hi there, Jordan and Joey How are you guys? Sarah, Great. fabulous It's it's wonderful <laughs> to hear from you Well, thank you um, Regarding Bill Cosby you, you know, isn't it just the saddest thing That really, really, really Good people as we know them, can sometimes do bad things. Now, that being said, I'm not on the jury. I'm not making a decision in this case. But I am, I am grateful that the jury is taking a long time, even though everyone's on pins and needles, because that means that they just didn't go in there and all of a sudden just say, okay, he's guilty, let's just get out of here, or or he's innocent, let's just get out of here. So they're really, really taking it seriously, which is such a good, good sign for for our our citizens and our and our True. society. Not so much True. for the prosecution or the or the defense. And and I have to say I just like anytime there is a celebrity that has done something wrong um and they have been acquitted or they have been found guilty, I it, it just kind of like it just hurts because they've they've reached the top of the hill and then they just roll down because they do something or are accused of doing something. And I think it's real hard to get over um, when that happens uh, versus um, Joe Black or Joe, you know, Brown or somebody, Joe Smith, that we don't even know who he is and he's accused of a crime. And it's so much easier for us to say what we what we think based on on evidence and that we're allowed to learn and we're not we're not emotionally invested in in the defendant Um, now michelle carter i've been watching the trial and i have been um 
uh, watching you every chance I get on HLN and CNN. And um, I think, Joey, a couple weeks ago you were talking about causation, causation, causation. I I do believe that the prosecution was successful in proving causation. Now, of course, tomorrow we're going to find out because the the verdict is being handed down tomorrow. And um, I I just – I, I it, it was a hard one for me to to come to because in the beginning everyone was outraged that how could she even do this? Um, so it was an emotionally outrageous thing. But I, I I really do see causation, and I'll find out if I'm wrong tomorrow. Um, now I have to ask you a legal question: conspiracy, criminal conspiracy. Does it have to be two people and a third party? Or could it just be two people? Because she did conspire with him to commit a crime. Because suicide's a crime, isn't it? <laughs> that's that's a that's a wonderful question. That is a wonderful question. Uh, well, you taught me yeah. well, Joey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's it, absolutely suicide is a crime. Um, so, but conspiring generally is you're conspiring against some other third party as opposed to that individual to commit a crime against themselves. And that's why this represents such a legal conundrum, uh, you know, because it's just such a, I mean, it's a case we just don't hear or see about every day. We just don't. Right. That's, so you that's do need a third party for the conspiracy thing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, as everyone else, I think, maybe, I don't know, not, not everyone, but I do hope that, that Tiger one day can, um, can come back, um, be it on the golf course or, or be a, an analyst. You know, Jordan, it was real interesting. I hadn't heard that whole soundbite with the, the sports guys talking, and usually uh-huh. I'll just kind of like zone out when you play those things. But um, I, I enjoyed this one. I, I, I could follow what they were saying, and they, were, they just made some really, really good points. So I hope whatever Tiger ends up doing, I hope it's, it's on the positive side because Joey and Jordan, everyone deserves a second chance. And, and I think that he was trying to have his second chance, and, and then physically he had all these problems. Um, okay, one more thing, and then I'll let everybody else talk to you guys. Um, Okay, we were just talking about the school teacher and the three students. Yeah. Joey Jackson, did you did you say that women as men are just as frail and are led to these things as men? Did did that word <laughs> frail come out of your mouth? It, it, it may have. I don't know. I say a lot. Well, of I words, think it. But... Okay, I think it did because if we're <clears throat> if we were talking about a male teacher, mm-hmm. there would no there would be no mention of frailty of the mind. That he would be considered a pervert. He'd be considered a, um, a molester, an abuser, and I think that you know you we haven't heard about one for a while, and now all of a sudden this one popped up. I I just think. They need stronger sentences. I think the sentences should be equal to what a man gets. And I'm I'm just so, so tired of them getting off so easy. I, I really am. And on that yeah. note, gentlemen, have a lovely evening. Hugs to both of you, and I will enjoy the rest of your callers. 
Sarah, you, so Sarah. good to hear from you, all right? God bless you, and thank you for your wonderful comments. Okay, let's go out to uh, Stuart, and he has a legal question for you, Joey. Stuart, you're live on King Jordan Radio. Hi, hi, Joey. Uh, thanks for, for, for taking your time for me. Thanks. Of course, um, of course. Um, this, this is a um, an, an off topic. This is a um, a legal uh, issue uh, regarding with the criminal law regarding uh, with my home situation. But I'm just going to uh, um, sum it up qu- quickly so you you you'll have an, an understanding. Um, um, my my uh, mother the. Um, mentally ill and uh, emotionally disturbed uh, person. Um, um, no, no set time of, uh, of uh, when she could go uh, a violent morning or evening. I mean, she does uh, different types of, uh, of uh, mental violent behavior. She fantasizes uh, 24/7 how stuffed animals and dolls are human beings, such as they get their own mail and, and they could do uh, commercials. Um, my, um, this is this is pretty extreme. This is like uh, tirades, uh, temper tantrums. My my question to you is, um, my uh, father who's in denial and uh, full of negligence, who keeps my uh, mother as a secret for decades uh, since since growing up, as a member of the family, since I'm being intimidated inside the the house. Uh, can my father be criminally charged for being an enabler? Well, let me let me just say this. Generally speaking, you know, calls, I'm always glad to take calls on the King show, and I'm always glad to uh, dispense and have legal discussions. But and the discussions I have are usually germane to the issues that we talk about on the show. And it sounds to me that the issue that you have is a lot more complex than making an assessment based upon a 60-second snippet of what you're telling me. And so I would really advise and recommend that you get, uh, you know, counsel that you're able to tell the full details and the full story, and you're able to really convey the specifics because there are 100 questions that I could ask you about what's going on in the household, which I won't because this isn't uh-huh. really the forum. This is not really the forum to deal with that. So. I would just encourage you to get a consultation, and at that uh-huh. time you could air all the, the specifics of, of what your unique situation is, and I hope whatever it is that it resolves itself favorably for you and that all ends up well. Oh, okay, because that, 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 was, that was my, 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 my question to you. I want to know if, 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 uh, if negligence is, is a crime. It, it's, it's too, again, I, you know, I'm, I'm not inclined to get into uh, dispensing legal advice on such sensitive and personal issues. I think that's something that uh, a lot more would need to be learned about before we could, you know, make an assessment as to that. And again, I'm always happy to spend time with callers on the program, but it's usually for items that we've spent, you know, the last hour talking about, not general generic issues. Uh, that don't pertain to that. But I just I hope you get the help you, you need and want, and I, I would advise that you get a consultation, okay? God bless you. Thanks for the call. Thanks for the call, Stu. Uh, let's go out to uh, our final caller, which is uh, Mary. She says hello, and uh, I think she's in Virginia now. Right, Mary? 
No, I'm still in Hawaii. Hi, Jordan. Hi, Joy. Hello. Mary, how are yes. you? So good to hear from um, you. Yes, I haven't been able to catch you on anything for a long time because when Katya puts down when you're going to be on HLN, it's already happened <laughs> by oh the time goodness. I get up. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I've been missing you. And, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, um, I just wanted to say I totally agree with um, what you said about um, the appealable issues with uh, Bill Cosby. Um, and I have an additional thing. How do you think that when when a jury, you know, asks relevant questions like they have, so you know they, they're thinking about it, they're spending their time, and they come deadlocked, and then the judge says, no, you got to go back and deliberate more. Does that ter- does that make it? Uh, I mean, there's no way to tell, but is it, that kind of influencing the jury saying, uh, "Well, you haven't really spent enough time on this." It, it's it's a wonderful question, Mary, and the Supreme Court answered that a while back uh, and said that a judge is allowed to give the jury what's called an Allen charge, which is a dynamite charge to essentially tell them that they're just as qualified as any other jury and that they are being relied upon to make a decision and that a lot of time, effort, and energy went into the case and that they should go back and if they could, in good faith, work it out, they can. But a judge has to be very careful because if you're too coercive of the jury and they convict, right. it, it, it represents an appealable issue. Exactly. Well, and then on, on Michelle Carter... Um, I do want to say, I mean, I worked for um, student health psychiatry in Georgetown way back in the 70s. And if you are going to kill yourself, those that are serious are going to do it. Regardless. Yeah, so sad. We had a student that came to student health and wanted sleeping pills, and luckily, the doctor said, no, I'm not going to give you sleeping pills. And I was in charge of calling the psychiatric resident on call. He was very upset. And I said, well, why don't you sit here? Let me get you someone to talk to. No, no, I'm, I'm leaving. The next morning, he slit his throat. Oh, good. Because gracious. he didn't have the pill. But given that, given all of that, she, she was just, like you said, wanting to disregard for her boyfriend. I mean, she heard him crying out for crying out, and she could have called someone to come and help and get him or, you know, done something. I just don't see how anyone could do what she did. Yeah, Even it's really awful. Even if he turned and killed himself the next day, you know. And, and then finally, as far as... Um, um, Oh gosh, I just lost his Tiger. name. Tiger. Tiger. Uh-huh. <laughs> Tiger Wood. Uh-huh. Um, I, you know, I do have medical background, and when you are in pain and you take a sleeping uh, um, pain medicine, you don't get high. Mm-hmm. So the addictive part of it, even though you do have to be careful, you're not mm-hmm. getting high. It's all the all the potency of that is going to to you know, in essence, take care of your pain. And as you right. heal, you should use less and less and less. And I really feel sorry for him. I hope that he's able to come back, and I'm, you know, rooting for him. Because if he gets healthy and well, he 
won't be needing those me- that medication at all. Right. You know. Well, well but, let's um, pray he's okay. Right? Yeah. So anyway, uh, good to talk to you, and good to talk to you, Jordan. Finally, I've been uh, I haven't been on good your show forever. And uh, you guys Absolutely. have a great evening. And uh, thank you, love Mary. You guys. God bless bye you. Bye. Take care. Okay. Okay. Bye bye. Thank you, Mary. And uh, uh, Joey, can you tell the audience when you will be on either CNN or HLN uh, coming yes, up? Yes, so I usually so sure. So I'll be. I'm usually on HLN uh, during the one to three with uh, my good friend and talented uh, Erica Hill. She does the one to three show, and then of course I That's join one Ashley three Eastern uh, tomorrow. One uh, one to three Eastern time. Tomorrow I'll actually be right. on starting at about 11.30. I'm in court, and then after I finish my court, I'll be on, uh, you know, talking about the Michelle Carter case. And uh, wow, then I do, do the Saturday, <laughs> yeah, I do the Saturday um, uh, CNN early morning. And uh, okay. yeah, I'll be on CNN and HLN Saturday. And, uh, of course, my friend Around Ashley Banfield, Primetime Justice at 8 o'clock. So it's all good. So but she's not on tomorrow, right? <laughs> No, she's not on tomorrow. Thir- uh, Monday through Thursday. So. Okay, I want to wish you all a happy Father's Day. I know you're a proud papa. <laughs> yes, <laughs> happy, happy Father's Day to all the guests and everything else. And uh, God bless you, Jordan. Always great to be on your show. I appreciate yes, I you. Thank you for staying on uh, in uh, double overtime, way into it at least. Thank you so much. Uh, of great, course. Great Anytime. analysis. And uh, Anytime. hopefully at this time we'll have some kind of uh, uh, solutions to Cosby and Michelle Carter. We'll know Michelle Carter for sure, but tomorrow uh, at this time we'll uh, figure that out. Thanks so much, Jim. God bless. Take care. You be well. Bye, everyone. So long. Bye-bye. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, that was the uh, HLN, CNN, Joey Jackson world-renowned defense attorney, as uh, we talked about uh, Bill Cosby, uh, Tiger Woods. Um, uh, we talked about uh, uh, Michelle Carter and the teacher. I did want to get into that story. There was a, another hot car case that I caught on Ashley Banfield. Um, so... We'll do that with Tom Mesereau, who will be right here on this show two weeks from today, June 29th, 9.30 Eastern Time. Thomas Mesereau, Jr. will join us. Uh, Tom defended Michael Jackson of 14 accounts of not guilties. So uh, I want to uh, also um, give a shout-out to uh, Pager. Vicky, Phyllis, Maddie. Uh, I want to give a shout out to our new caller who called in uh, from Pennsylvania. Uh, of course, Sarah, uh, Mary, Stewart, who checked in. Thank you all so much. Okay, so uh, last year, about a year ago, uh, we lost 50 people in the uh, nightclub. So we're going to cover, we're going to play a song for that. And then after that, we're going to play another song 
for the people in uh, Manchester over the, uh, one love over the rainbow, something like that. But uh, let's start um, with a uh, tribute song to the people that lost their lives a year ago by Adele. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you in two weeks with Tom Mesero. Good night, everybody. We'll speak to you then. Thanks for listening to King Jordan Radio. Follow us on Twitter at King Jordan R-A-D. It's me. I was wondering if after all you'd hear it like me to go over everything. They say the time's supposed to heal you, but I ain't done much healing. Hello, can you hear me? I'm in California dreaming. Forgotten how it fell before the world fed our feet. There's such a difference between us and the million miles. So
Yeah. Mm-hmm. 